welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Today we find out how to get inside the minds of those you advise so all your conversations will be winning ones. Stories about the secret weapon of the best salespeople, it's how they connect, influence and persuade, including people listening to their story and empathising with their plight. That's the connection we crave in this connection economy. The power of storytelling and using them to have winning conversation is the topic of today's show. Uh, How to be likeable, how to influence, how to persuade and how to talk to human beings. So our first guest says the average piece of business advice to an executive takes around eight hours of you and your team's time to prepare and 15 minutes to deliver. Those 15 minutes can't be wasted. So how can you ensure you cut through with your advice quickly and improve your chances of influencing their decision-making? Our next guest is a specialist, how to manage the risk in your decision-making. He's just released a new book titled Winning Conversations, How to Turn Red Tape into Blue Ribbon, and the inspiration of today's topic, Winning Conversations. Welcome, Brian Whitefield. Thanks very much, Jackie. My pleasure to be here. Good to have you here. Now, what is influence and persuasion, in a, and how do they differ? Like, what are, the, are they the same thing, or do they differ? I'm sure there's a technical definition for that they're different, but in my mind, they're the same. Persuasion, the art of persuasion, I think, is more the conversation where, where influence can come from um, the things you do uh, and, uh, you know, third parties that, you know, a good referral, for for example, is, is, is good influence, but you're the one who ultimately has to persuade. Yeah, so when you're having winning conversations and turning red tape, which we all hate, and I love that into a blue ribbon, uh, much more positive, how do we increase our influence when we're having a conversation? Well, the first thing is, is trust. And, and we talk about trust a lot these days, and, and for good reason, once you've had raw commissions in the financial sector mm. and certain heightens it in people's minds. But essentially, we all have barriers to poor advice. We're always worried about the two-tone shoe salesman. Um, Even your your 90-year-old mother, you know, who would do you no wrong, you've got a barrier up um, potentially against her advice she might provide you around the internet, for example. Mm. So the idea of of ultimate persuasion, having a winning conversation, is you have to uh, build and establish a level of trust so that they're willing to take a punt on your advice. And that's why I talk about persuasion or being a persuasive advisor before you become a trusted advisor. Right. Because until they've trusted your advice and learnt that your, your, your advice is, is solid and, is, and in fact is blue ribbon and not just a bunch more red tape, then they, don't, they can't build that trust. Once they've got the trust, they'll be uh, knocking down the door to uh, get more of your advice. Now, one of the areas you specialise in is risk management, and you're a president of the and chairman of the board of the Risk Management Institute, Institute of Australasia uh, a few years back. And yep. how do you influence decision making? Like, what are the key elements to influencing a decision maker? So, interestingly, and much to the chagrin of, of um, engineers like myself, originally was a chemical engineer is that logic isn't all that it's cut out to be. People make decisions primarily on emotions. So unless you can get them uh, in an emotional mindset to, ex- to just 
start absorbing and, 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 and taking on the logic, the logic won't work. Some people just do not want to hear. And in professions like risk, compliance, safety, for example, they come with a lot of baggage. There's a lot of perceptions of, of, of being the fun police, the, the, the business prevention officers, um, wet blankets. Uh, and so the initial reaction from people is that you've come to um, create problems for me. And, and so you, you really, really do need to uh, break down those perceptions. And connection is the way um, to do that in terms of uh, driving people's emotions. And the key one I use is storytelling. Um, storytelling builds connection. Mm. Uh, drives emotion. And once you've got an emotional mindset, then you can come in with your logic. Yeah, yeah, that's it's 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 brilliant advice, and it's taking it's taking a bit, we're a bit slow to pick that up, and all the evidence, all the neuroscience evidence, are pointing that way. There's, it's overwhelming that that's actually the way it is. That's actually ironically a fact that emotion emotion drives decision making. It's just taking a little bit slow for our corporate dinosaurs to pick up on that. Uh, particularly logic based people, like yes, you know, a lot of logic based <laughs> people in finance, in, in risk, and you know, engineers, and we just can't understand. Yeah. Why, why, why don't they get it? Why don't they get it? Yeah, I know. Not right. and, 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 and they use the word emotion negatively. Oh, they're, they're, they're too emotional or they're getting emotional yeah. about the decision. You go, yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Read it for what it is. Stand in their shoes. But, you know, get inside their heads yeah, and it, then you'll be able to influence. It's amazing, isn't it? This, this barrier that we have, that most people have to it. Now, when you were president and chairman, of the Board of Risk Management Institution of Australasia from us. I think if I've got my stats right, 2012 to 2015. That's right. And RMIA will suffice. Uh, RMIA, yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's certainly a mouthful. Uh, it's so, we're, you know, we're three years down the track. Risk management has been uh, certainly a growth area. What's been the change in corporations or businesses? Uh, view or opinion on risk management in an organisation? Unfortunately, I don't think it has been a significant shift since 2015. However, I think the opportunity is now. The Just watching what's come out of the Royal Commission, the finance sector, there's some stats out at the moment, or the stats I'm quoting at the moment. I think ANZ had something like $50, $63 million on FTE FTE on, on, on risk and compliance people. The Commonwealth Bank had over 3,000 risk and compliance professionals uh, globally uh, and they still ended up in a Royal Commission. Mm. So throwing money, throwing resources at something um, that is actually not working, uh, I think people are going to start are starting to realise that it's got to be done differently. And what's generally happened is uh, that, you know, regulators and others have pushed organisations into um, uh, thinking about risk and compliance more and people have treated it as a box-ticking exercise. And so the risk professions challenge, risk and compliance professions challenge, is to change the emotional mindset of people from this is a box-ticking exercise to this is something really valuable. It's actually going to provide me insight and allow me to make better decisions for starters and once I'm making better decisions, aren't I going to have better outcomes? Of course I am. Mm, yeah, it just makes sense. It's, it's the irony of this logical versus emotion. Anyway, now in your book, you talk about a pathfinder model. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. 
So first of all, why is it called the Pathfinder model? I, we, we talked earlier about the, uh, the barriers that people uh, put up to good advice. Well, here's the problem. Well, there's about 7 billion people on this planet. Mm. Well, guess what? There's seven, about 7 billion variations of the barriers. <laughs> no, no two people have the same barriers, right? So how do you actually design your advice to get past these barriers? There's no one way suits all. So what I thought I'd do is come up with a model of a process, a Pathfinder model, that if you follow it, it gives you the best chance that you've got to design a, a process to navigate past those barriers. So it's got four, uh, four steps to it. First of all, you need to stand in their shoes. You stand in their shoes so you understand. You get inside their heads. You understand where they're coming from. Once you've got past that, once you have a good, clear understanding on that, you've got two main tools for working what's on what's inside their head. One is painting them a picture and one is telling them a story. So paint them a picture. A picture's worth a thousand words. Mm. If you don't paint a picture for them, they'll paint their own and it might not look like yours. Yeah. And then tell them a story for uh, to connect, to connect them with you, the likability part, for example, uh, the respect or, or credibility part, and and connect them with what you want them to be to be doing with your advice, you know, and or. And the last part is to make them believe. <laughs> and how do you make people believe? Through credible conversations, credible conversations. So it's coming to the conversation with credibility, delivering your paint and 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 tell with credibility and uh, and leaving them to make the ultimate decision because people don't like to be told. They like to make their own decision. So yeah. there it is, stand, paint, tell, make. Okay, I like it very much. Brian, what's your view of 2019 and beyond in, uh, in the area of risk management? Uh, I, I think a few things are going to happen. Uh, I was having a discussion uh, with one of the big four accounting firms about this just recently, and I said that the next decade will be the decade of influence for, for risk. So what we've done in the past, we've trained people in risk who are, they trained, but they didn't follow it. Then we took, okay, well, maybe what we need to do is we need to, uh, we need to assure you know, we, we better get uh, assurance mindset happening and we'll assure the board um, and, uh, and others that, that everything's okay. And then people said, okay, well, it's not just about assurance. We better provide some insight. So there's been a lot of, you know, data analytics and, and you know, using data analytics to get insight on risk culture and things like that. But I think it's really about the risk profession stepping up and having winning conversations. That's what I really think it's about. And what will shift in the end, is that we'll ultimately get more accountability for managing uncertainty in organisations. Note the language I used? Yes. Managing uncertainty. Mm. That's managing risk. Yeah. But people don't like the word risk, but they need to manage uncertainty because they're responsible for the outcomes. So why wouldn't you want to learn to better manage uncertainty, um, but without the red tape that can be created by, the, by people like the risk profession, compliance profession? So I think it's time for the risk profession to step up, cut the red tape, and become start building into those winning conversations. Yeah, look, that's, I think that's a lovely way to finish off our winning conversation today, Brian Whitefield. I, I've enjoyed it very much. Uh, it's certainly conversations that matter, which I think are, are really important. And your Pathfinder model is, uh, is curious. And I think anyone curious in knowing how to turn red tape into blue ribbon should have a read of Brian's book. You can get this book everywhere you can buy books, I'm assuming. 
pretty much. Your yep. bookstores, Amazon, my website. There you go. Excellent. Okay, and your website is Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, whitefield.com.au. And uh, people can also follow you on Twitter and, of course, on LinkedIn if they're wanting Absolutely. to find out a bit more about you. Brian Watford, thank you very much for your time today and I've really enjoyed our winning conversation and look forward to our next encounter. Thanks, Jackie. Love the conversation too. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business where we are connecting with all the right people here. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Now, we all know that song, that was Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And today's topic is really about uh, storytelling and connections and conversations. And songs are a great medium to tell a story. And I chose that song not only because it's topical, because the, uh, the movie's out at the moment, but it tells a tale of a man's admission to his mother that he's killed a man. And he faces certain death and uh, he expresses guilt for what he's done. And even though it's been a little bit controversial as to what the song is about, that's the sort of, I suppose, common belief of what that song is about. But there's many songs that tell a story. And there's also the other thing too, it's a secret weapon of the best salespeople there are around. It's how they connect, influence and persuade. But how do you know when it works or how do you know it connects? So our next guest is an author. He's a storyteller. He's an engineer turned sales, and we're going to find out how that happened in a minute. And he says he taught himself storytelling on the job while selling. Welcome, Mike Adams. Thanks very much, Jackie. Good to have you here. Now, are you, uh, have you seen the movie? Bohemian Rhapsody. I have. I saw it this week with my wife. I cried, actually. Yeah. I loved it so much. Fabulous uh, movie. It's a really great movie, and I love those songs that do tell a story, and I think it's uh, it's coming sort of back in, into fashion. Now, do you do you know why or Bohemian Rhapsody, the story behind it? Were you aware of that? Yeah, well, I got to uh, to hear about the story in depth, and I don't want to spoil that for your listeners because they should go and see that movie. That's one of the standout movies this year. So, um, yeah, but I was interested in your comment about the story because, you know, um, classical music with no words is also a kind of a story mm. because my, the definition of story might surprise you. A story is a sequence of related events. So if it's not a sequence of related events, then, then it's not a story. But music has, throughout it, by convention, by cultural convention, it has sequences of harmonies and rhythms that repeat and that's what our cortex, the biggest part of our brain, is trying to do. It's trying to predict the next sequence. And because we know stories are unpredictable, they're inherently unpredictable, we pay attention to stories. And that's why they're so, so important to learn how to tell in business conversations. Because I think I think if there's something changing a lot in our modern world, it's it's lack of attention. People have stopped paying attention, don't you think? They're on their phone all the time instead of paying attention. Absolutely. Well, the the enemy of attention, in my view, is distraction. And uh, and we're so distracted. Technology, you know, with all its good, we the really evil are. of it, we're totally yeah. distracted all the time. And it's interesting you talked about the concept of stories. You know, we are mm. as humans, our brain, we're great pattern matches, and we're always Correct. looking for the pattern. But that's the reason murder mysteries do so well. And and I, there's very few people that'll walk out of a movie in the middle of it unless it's ex- extremely bad, because we all want to know how the story we ends. We want to know what happens next, <laughs> and it's why Netflix has made so much money. That little five four three two one countdown to the next episode 
forces us to sit there and listen to the next episode, doesn't it? It sure does. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. Yes, we all we all get sucked into it, and, and it's obviously you know <laughs> most of the time unconsciously. Uh, but but it is that power of storytelling, and it it's something that was you know popular when uh, when human uh, civilization you know mm. we used to tell the stories to to warn people and to how to find food and it was all based on stories because of course there was no books or any any other sort of Correct. communication and mm. it's interesting now how we've come back to that it's almost full circle now it never really went away jackie you don't it, think so except it's been considered unbusinesslike you know business oh, people will say just yeah. give me the facts right yeah. but the problem is our brains aren't good at processing facts we we need the sequence to fit it in mm. so the facts are not very comfortable way to receive information and so stories are so natural for our brains that um, that we should understand that and we should recognize that if we can deliver new information in the form of a story it's going to be much more compelling for an audience and that's what salespeople have to do they need they literally need to change the minds of their clients because otherwise their clients going to go on doing whatever they were doing before yeah that's true now i have to ask where i started uh that you started as an engineer now what prompted the move from engineering to sales yes well i was i was an electrical and mechanical engineer i graduated from tas uni a long time ago and in the mid-90s, I was working in London, uh, actually on one of the very first neural networks. I was trying to classify rocks in the oil and gas industry, and, and I was using some new software to do it, and my boss called me in and said that he had this great career opportunity, and um, career opportunity is corporate code for um, a job no one else wants to do. <laughs> and um, he wanted me to go to Norway, which I thought was great, and then he wanted me to be a salesperson. I didn't want to do that. But mm. I, what I said was, well, my wife's eight months pregnant, so I can't go. I went home and she really wanted to go and she flew eight months pregnant and I became a salesperson. That was 1996. And I never looked back because I just had this amazing good fortune in my first year and I sold the biggest deal in our company by accident and that made me think I was good. And Like a lot of salespeople have to tell you, we, we generally as a group think we're a lot, a lot better than we really are. Yeah, so how did, you, how did you teach yourself storytelling? Yeah, look, I I always had a kind of a theatrical flair i i used i was in marketing before that and i used to in order to to get people to understand our software i would get the technical guys to actually act out scenarios for it but but i think the first time i really noticed that stories were so much more powerful than just delivering fact was when i was in russia i was running a sales team in russia in the early 2000s and and the story of my company, which is Schlumberger, it's a very big oil and gas services company, about $30 billion company. Their story in Russia is a compelling story. The company was founded in the late 1920s and, and had their, they developed a technique for identifying where oil is in an oil well using resistivity method. And, and the country that accepted that technique first was the Soviet Union. And so they moved in with a lot of equipment into the Soviet Union and started building their business. But in the, in the mid-1930s, Stalin nationalised them. And uh, it was a pretty grim story, actually, uh, but uh, they lost all of their equipment. They were kicked out of the country. And, and then when I was in Russia in the, in the early 2000s, but just before that, actually, you know, Shlomozhev had to make the decision, do we go back into Russia or not? And the CEO was presented with a business case and had a very simple question, which was, you know, how much money are you willing to, to lose to go back into Russia, and he, he had a very quick answer, which was $200 million. 
and they um, they set about funding two of the um, the, the early privatised Russian oil companies and doubled their production in 18 months in the late 1990s, which was a spectacular achievement. And and today that business is a many billion dollar business for Shlomo in Russia. Wow. And I just told I told that story, and then mm. I started hearing it back from other clients. So I realised that the story was actually travelling through my clients. And I thought, oh, it's very interesting. And so that from about then was when I started trying to find stories to tell and to really focus on what made a good story and what made it likely that people would would retell it. Yes, so in your global career, because you've worked in, uh, you've managed sales teams in the Pretty UK, all over the world, all yeah, over the world. Cut, Russia, cut India, and China, Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, Australia, yeah, everywhere, everywhere. There's, so is there, from a cultural perspective, when you tell a story, what sort of nuances uh, are there per, uh, depending on the country? This is a really interesting question. Everyone loves the story. It's culturally independent in my experience. There are cultures that want to get down to business faster and more slowly than others. Mm-hmm. The Asian cultures in particular are very happy to spend time to get to know you. But still you exchange stories and even when it's maybe like a North American culture where you want to get down to business quickly, as long as your story makes the business point, it'll still be listened to. And most importantly, and that's what I really want to make sure your listeners understand, when we tell stories so that our future client will tell us the story back. It's, it's really the concept of exchanging stories that's most powerful for salespeople. So you're using the story to get a piece of information in such as you can be trusted and you're an authority. But you're really doing it to say, well, you know, enough about me. What, what about you, Jackie? How come you're in radio and you have this marketing background? Mm. How, did you, how did you get there? And then you're exchanging stories, and that's really a secret to, to both rapport building and also discovery, you know, finding out what's really going on with them. It's rather unlikely to open up um, to just a, an interrogation style of question, which is how most salespeople are trained. Now, let's, uh, yeah. let's talk about this new book you've got, Seven Stories yeah. Every Salesperson Must Tell. Correct. And I have to ask, why did you pick seven? Well, well, seven is as many things as we can hold in our mind in one go. So seven is the upper limit for humans to remember a list. <laughs> and even I struggle sometimes to remember <laughs> the list. But the, the seven stories are structured through a buying journey or a selling journey. The seller's journey is the same as the buyer's journey. So the first three stories are stories to connect and build rapport, and that's your personal story, which is the most important story everyone has in their career. Your key staff story, stories about important people in your company that your future client needs to trust when they meet them, and your company story. What's the narrative? I told you a version of, of a company story, the, the story of my company in Russia when I told that story. And then we move on to stories to to change your client's mind. So those are insight stories, just stories about how you discovered something about their market or their business that they should know that, that if you don't put in a story form, it's likely to, to be pushed back because most clients think they know their business pretty well. And then success stories, which is stories of, of other customers like them that have succeeded with your products and services. It's very important that the hero of that story is the successful client, not your company. And then the last two stories are value stories and teaching stories, which are very specific to closing complex deals. They're stories that will work 
in absentia, when you're not there in the decision meetings to help you get a big deal closed. So, yeah, that's the seven stories, and it takes you from first hello to signed contract. Now, I'm going to make a little bit of a, a guess. I've got a clue. I look like looking for clues in people. Uh, do you? Are you a mad fisherman? No, not, but I have a little story about that. So I, you can see on the book there's a picture of a of a fishing hook. Yes, so that uh, was lure, one clue. Actually, it's a lure, yeah. and the story is kind of a lure. I am not so much a keen fisherman, but I had this crazy idea about a year ago, just before I started writing the book. I had this idea to put 20 rainbow trout in our swimming pool, and I thought it'd be cool. To, I'd, someone had told me you could do it, and I put them in in April, and my plan was in November I was going to fish them out, invite friends around and fish them out of the pool. Well, the fish turned green and then the pool turned green, sorry, and then black, and I got this bacteria going and managed to get the water under control. And, and they grew, they, they grew like to 1.2 kilos, these fish. My dog used to love the feeding every morning, but, um, but they mm-hmm. all died of an algae oh. bloom. Oh. And so, and I spent about two months trying to clean the pool with a lot of chemicals. <laughs> mm. But that was where I got the idea of the, of the fishing metaphor because the connection is like the hook. You know, you, you use the story as a lure to hook. That's getting a good connection, and then you fight with the fight stories, the success stories, and the insight stories, and then you close the deal with value stories and and teaching stories. So that was the that was the idea. Okay, so but, then, yeah, of I course fish, there's a story. Really like catching fish. I like fishing, but I don't really like catching. Them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't have the patience, unfortunately, because you do you do need good patience. But it's actually probably quite good meditation time if you if you yeah, don't catch anything. Yeah. I suppose I don't know. Anyway, I I sort of looked at that and went, oh, that was a it was a clue in the title of the lure and the hook, yes. and and I, I really liked that because it was very descriptive, uh, and it created that. A, a mental picture in my head, which is which is why I love radio because you mm. can it, it's it's the theatre of the mind, and that's part of that storytelling is that you you have to create that story by using words, and storytelling is a really great way to do that. It really is, and the fishing metaphor is like a, a meta story for the book, so that sort of takes the reader on the journey from from starting to meet a new client, closing the deal. And then there's about 50 example stories through the book, and, and, and it's really an instruction manual on how to find the best stories and how to craft them and how to practice them and then how to have the courage to deliver them in a, in a business meeting. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a good read. I did read it. was Of course, it had to be. If it was a storytelling, I thought, you know, this has to deliver because the expectations are high. And it yeah. certainly delivered, Mike Adams. Well done. Congratulations. It's seven stories every salesperson must tell and uh, by idea. Mike Adams. And you can get that everywhere. Books are sold. Yeah, Google it. It's just coming out on audio book in the next week as well. Great. Well, there's a website, my7stories.com. And if you're wanting to know a bit more about Mike, and you like what you've heard uh, and you like the sound of him and want to know more, people can find you on LinkedIn. Any other social media platforms that you're on? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best. I'm on Twitter as well, but I'm not so active there. But you can catch me on LinkedIn and, uh, and certainly if you Google Seven Stories, you'll find it for sale on most outlets. That's wonderful. Mike Adams, thank you so much for telling us your story. Thank you, Jackie. It was lovely to chat. Really enjoyed our conversation. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this with a few more interesting conversations. 
Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Everybody talks. We all, I love that song. And it's all about creating connections and that make influence happen. And the default position for most of us is to trust others. And when it's only when it, it's only when we find evidence to the contrary that we stop. When banks rip us off or politicians go back on their word or salespeople stretch the truth, we become wary of others taking advantage. But the easiest way to ensure that we gain the trust of others is simple. According to our next guest, who is an expert in communication, leadership and influence. He is the author of five books. He's a sought after speaker trainer and mentor and knows how to get people's attention. Welcome, Darren Fleming. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you here. Now, we're talking about creating connections that make influence happen, and I think that word influence is a real key there. Just tell us a little bit of what you what you mean by that. Well, one of the things that we as humans can't handle is being powerless. If we know that we've got no power, we can't make a decision, we, we don't like it. Uh, so we all want a level of influence to have our message put forward and be listened to by other people. And uh, when we've got influence, we can shape our world, whether it be business or social or, or wherever. Right. And what's your definition of the difference between influence and persuasion? I think they're pretty much the same. It's okay. the influence and manipulation that... I have a real um, thought around the the idea of influence is I'm, I'm trying to influence you. You know that, and you know my reasoning for it. Uh, around manipulation, it's sort of below the line. That is, I'm trying to get you to do something. You know, I'm trying to get you to do something, but you don't know why. Okay. Yeah. And it's the the below the line hiding the um, the intention that. I see as manipulation, whereas influence, we're both above the line, we're both talking about, we both know where each other is coming from. Yeah, I, I like the term you use, connection economy. Is that is that something you came up with? Well, that's the whole world of the social media. We're hyper-connected these days. We've got you know thousands of connections on LinkedIn, hundreds on Facebook, and however many on the next platform. We're connected to everybody, but... Do we really have influence on these people or with these people? Now, your past uh, your past books, were they all on similar topics? I haven't read any of them. I did read your current book, which we'll talk about in a minute, but the ones yes, that you did previously, were they all based around connection and communication? Yes, yes, they're all about connecting. The, the most recent book, uh, one of my books was How to Write a 10-Minute Presentation in Under Two Minutes. If you're a business person, you've got to get your message out, whether it be a sales pitch or a team meeting or whatever the case is. You don't want to spend a whole day writing a presentation for the following day because what that means is you're going to be working at night when you should be sitting on the couch with your family. Uh, one of my other books is Better Positioning, Deeper Conversations, More Sales. It's how do you position yourself so people are drawn to you, they want to connect with you. So the, the presenting book is about connecting as a speaker to an audience. The sales book is about connecting as a salesperson with a customer. Darren, you, you do a lot of keynote speaking and you're a highly sought-after speaker. What's the most popular topic people want you to talk about? It's about how do you manage people up, down, out, 
And how do you influence them in business? How do you get them to do as you want? Okay. Yeah, well, it's, in, it's interesting. And has, has that changed over the years? Like, has that always been the most popular uh, topic requested? Or is that, have you seen a shift in the last couple of years on what's, what's uh, popular? From the world of keynote speakers, so across the whole range, there's a big focus in business at the moment about future of leadership, future of business, internet of everything. Around my world, it's always been around either how do we communicate, how do we engage, how do we influence. Okay. And of late, we're starting to get into the how do we connect as individuals? Because as I mentioned earlier, we uh, you know hyper-connected before we've got thousands and thousands of social media requests uh, for, for connections. But suicide rates are through the roof. Yeah. The number of people living in single-person dwellings, year on, every time the census comes up, is going through the roof. We're a hyper-connected community, but we're not connected at all. And learning how to connect with people is what I'm finding a strong drive in the market for. Okay, that's, that's really, really interesting. Now let's talk about your new book, uh, and it's uh, it's got a mildly controversial title. It's certainly got my attention, uh, and you've called it Don't Be a Dick, and uh, it's about yeah. creating connections that make influence happen. And uh, and I get sent uh, a lot of books to review and chat with, with authors like yourself, and I must admit, in all the books, they, they sort of tend to become a bit sort of um, all similar. They sort of tend to blend in each other, into each other, particularly the titles. Uh, but this one didn't. This one stood out a little bit. Uh, so how did – so is, was, that, was that your intention? I'm assuming it was. Or Like where, where did you come up with that? I think we've all been guilty of being a dick every now and then. Yeah. And – when we sit back and we look at where we are in life, we realise, hey, yeah, I reckon I've been one. And I was, I noticed a number of people in my life who were being dicks. And I just thought, well, you know, the way that we connect, if, if you want to connect with someone, being a dick is the quickest way to stop it. Mm. So if you want to connect, just don't be a dick. Yeah. Now, I can imagine in Australia we sort of get that title, what that means. How's the reception been uh, globally? Uh, in the US, they have um, a number of people found it incredibly offensive. Uh, I've had the books ordered in the UK. They thought it was a great laugh. Uh, I know people in the UK who have ordered it from me to send to their business colleagues in China. Haven't heard how that went. But when... And maybe it is an incredibly Australian thing. When you understand what the term don't be a dick means, it's about understanding that you're not connecting with people. In fact, you're pushing them away. And when you push people away, you isolate. And that's, that's not cool. Yeah, I know. There was a funny story that you were telling me earlier about Instagram. Share that one. Yeah, so um, Larry Ender, he's got a video put up online and uh, he's gone, shows him flicking through it, and then he holds the book up to the camera. Why would someone put this on my desk? <laughs> yeah, someone with, what, a, with a good sense of humour. What, what that says is, you know, whether it's true or not, but what happens is that is someone saying that he's a dick. You know, from a social connection perspective, the idea behind the 
book, don't be a dick, is don't turn your back, don't cover your ears, don't close your heart. Because when you turn your back, you lock people out. When you cover your ears, you don't hear their story. When you close your heart, you can't love them. And they can't love you. And in this world, you know, what we need is more love than, than hate. Yeah, and I uh, I totally agree, and I think that's a really nice way to to finish up. Uh, those listeners that have just joined us, you missed a lot, but this podcast will be available on the website. And we're chatting with Darren Fleming, who's just written a book called "Don't Be a Dick," and uh, really enjoyed chatting chatting with him. And it's available where all books are sold, uh, and you can find more information about Darren at darrenfleming.com.au and uh, and a variety of social media channels I'm assuming as well Darren yes I'm on there on social media yeah great and you can also check the book out on don'tbeadick.me oh okay that's a nice way to finish we've certainly got the attention I love it attention of our (laughs) listeners I'm sure Uh, Darren Fleming thank you so much for your valuable time thank you for the opportunity pleasure you're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on RORP